I'm afraid to die. Maybe you've said those words or maybe they've next, ne never actually come out of your mouth, but they've lived in your head so long you can't stuff them down anymore. I'm afraid to die. But you feel like a fake Christian because you know that you're supposed to be excited about this thing called heaven. And maybe you'd admit, I'm a Christian, I know I have a relationship with God, but when I think about heaven, I feel nothing. To me, heaven doesn't seem to equal hope, and all of the unknowns, we actually go somewhere forever. Really? I know I don't want to go to hell, but I'm confused, and I feel guilty for it. And if that describes you or you simply want to know more about heaven, then I want you to know that you're not alone this morning. I wish there was an entire book of the Bible that was dedicated just to heaven by itself. Jesus actually talked about money more than he did heaven when he was on this earth. But that doesn't mean we don't have more than enough information to be confident about it. But I'm getting ahead of myself for just a moment. My prayer for this series is simple, that we as a church family would be equipped with information, specific details about heaven that help us remember the bigger picture as we go throughout this thing that we call living on this planet. And church family, I want us to not just be thankful that we're not going to hell, but excited about the gift of heaven that is our eternity for those who know Jesus. And I want us to trust God's character. My hope is that you will trust God's character and believe that he loves us and he isn't going to promise us an eternity in heaven that's boring or unfulfilling and just something that's better than hell. I want us to be so convinced of this amazing, stimulating, exciting, heavenly experience that we are able then to navigate the highs and the lows of this life knowing that it is only a tiny blip on the timeline of our eternal existence. And if you're here today or you're listening online, and I know many are, and you're not a believer, I pray that this series on heaven is used by God to convict you to repent of your sin and to trust Christ. Not just because you can avoid, avoid an eternity in a place called hell, but so that you can join us in this heaven that we're going to be talking about with Jesus and all the believers who have gone on before us. And so as we begin our time this morning, I want you to consider this question. It's going to be on the screen. This question is this. How often do you think about heaven? How often do you think about heaven? Is it daily? Weekly? Only at funerals? When someone you care about gets a bad diagnosis? Do you know what heaven will be like? If you're married, if your spouse, or if you have children, if your children 
were in their last days on this earth and they asked you about heaven, what would you tell them? What would you say as they look into your eyes and ask you about this place that you've put your hope in? Now, research shows that the majority of Christians wouldn't be able to answer those questions confidently. And most of the world, though, believes in some type of afterlife. Even non-believing, non-Christian people believe that there is something that happens after this life. Yet it's still a big question mark for many of them. But God has told us that in the heart of man, eternal things have been planted. That every person has some sense that there is more than this life. And that's what this series is all about. Heaven. The best is yet to come. Now, in addition to my diving into what Scripture teaches, some of the research and the content from this series comes from Chip Ingram's book called The Real Heaven. I've recommended this book to many of you. I've recommended it from this stage before. And in fact, I had to purchase the book again because I let someone borrow it and they didn't give it back. And so if that's you, my office, my mailbox is in the office. But I've really enjoyed reading and studying such a trusted pastor's work on this topic. Many of you have read the book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Once again, a a wonderful book. So what's heaven like? What's it really like? Not how the movies or music might portray it, but what does God actually say? And there are a ton of myths and misinformation out there about heaven that may seem harmless to us, but I, but I believe it's important to share correct details about heaven. That it may feel good to tell someone that their mother who has recently passed away is now an angel who is watching over them. But that's just not the case. And since we are given some accurate information, we should be informed about it and we should know how to communicate it. And don't miss that. We are given all of the details that we actually need to know. Now, as I mentioned, Hollywood and the music industry doesn't do much help to the misinformation situation that we find ourselves in in this world. They tell us that maybe we're just playing violins or we're flapping our wings or floating around with no feet like Casper the Friendly Ghost. If you're a 90s kid, you understand that reference. There's no holes in the floor of heaven where tears are seeping down from people who are looking down on us. There's no stairway to heaven. But these songs, they they capture our attention, don't they? It's just some weird stuff that we find from Hollywood and from the music industry. And we think that we don't get our theology from those places. Yet wrong information on heaven infiltrates many areas of our lives, from content in children's books all the way to programs that we print at funerals. The myth that I grew up believing was was that heaven is just going to be a really long, long, long church service. Which sounds boring, and I'm a pastor. I mean, like that sounds terrible. And there's another fun conversation that many of you could identify with is, can Jesus just wait to come back until I've had a chance to get married? Please, if you know, you know. I'm just going to leave it there. 
Or maybe you're the retired couple who asks God that he would just wait to take them until they've had a chance to travel and see the world after they retire. They really want to see Australia or Hawaii. And unintentionally, what we're doing is we're, we're just admitting that we don't know what heaven is like and that sex or traveling just has to be better. And don't get me wrong, I can be guilty of this as well. Now, don't think less of me, but nothing makes me more jealous than seeing Instagram pictures from Amy Harris, who many of you know, who plays our piano, while she's hiking the United States. And Ty, if you're watching this on whatever mountain peak you're cresting, I'm extremely jealous. But as I see those beautiful pictures, I'll say things like, I've got to see all of that before I die. Did you catch that? Before I die. Do I not think that after I die will be so much better? Now I have full confidence in an awesome heaven, but it can squeak into my thinking too, if I'm not careful. And of course, there's nothing wrong with traveling and seeing all the beautiful things that God has created in this world. But let me just say that before I die mindset is such a limited view. And not to overdramatize this, but that thinking does reveal a lack of awareness of things beyond this life, that there's more than this life. Now, when we don't know much about heaven, we don't imagine heaven as being better than the gifts that we've been given on this earth. And James 1 tells us that, that every good and perfect gift comes from above. But listen, those blessings, those good things, these gifts that we have, they're just meant to hold us over. It says such good things about our God and how much he has blessed us that he has given us those things and that we can't even fathom an eternity better than the temporary earthly things that we enjoy right now. Now, this is a westernized, privileged problem, by the way. And privileged, I mean that in the actual meaning of the word. If you visit a third world country where things are extremely difficult, those Christians actually think about heaven a lot. Facing need, what it does is it causes us to yearn for relief, to, to yearn for something better. But when we fully understand what God wants us to know about heaven, it changes how we live, that we can hold fast to this promise that God has given us, this promise of heaven. So if you would, find Colossians chapter 3 in your Bible. We're going to be in a couple different places this morning, but I want to start in Colossians 3. Because next to Jesus and next to John, Paul says the most about heaven in his teaching in his letters. And so Colossians is written to the church in Colossae. It's one of Paul's 13 letters. And in verse 1, Paul starts off with, with some words. And we've, we've studied this text a lot together as a church family in the last couple of years. But he starts off by saying, If then you have been raised with Christ... And so this is a reminder that we were dead in our sin and we've been raised up with him. So if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And, but next it says, and here's the command, here's what I want you to catch. Set your mind on things that are above, 
not on things that are on the earth. Why should we do that? Why should we set our mind on things that are above and not on things of this earth? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Here's what this text, is, here's what this text says to me. That our view of heaven should influence what we do. Does your view of heaven influence how you live? A lot of the issues that we face, and, and they're real issues, the anxiety, the lack of peace, the temptations that we all experience, if we really had clarity on heaven, maybe we would have more of a longing for it. I mean, consider your own perspective today. How would a proper view or understanding of heaven affect how you lived your life? Would it affect the decisions that you make? Would it have any impact on your calendar? Would it, would it influence the words that you use in your conversations? Would it have any impact on how you live your life today? And so that's how Paul kind of sets the table for this, this, this wrestling match that we have between things in this earth and things that are not of this earth. And we are to set our minds on things that are above. And Paul says that because he knew something that we all know really well too. And so flip back a few books to John chapter 14. Some of you have this section of scripture memorized. But in John chapter 14, Jesus has already selected his disciples. And in John 13, he has the last supper and he washes their feet. Judas has already betrayed him. Tomorrow he will die. And his final message to these disciples, to this group of people, it wasn't about creation it wasn't some deep doctrinal dive. It wasn't about modesty. What does he tell them? He gives them hope. He gives them the hope of heaven. I mean, Jesus already knows that they're going to be persecuted for following him. All of them except one will be martyred. They will be killed for their faith. And one gets exiled to Patmos, which probably he wished he would have been one of the other 12. But... He knows that they are going to need strength and courage to get them through what lies ahead. Because they will live in a world, specifically Rome, as you, as if you know, which is laden with immorality. Like this world we live in has never even seen. And this is the message that he gives them in John 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God believe also in me. That in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place, a specific place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, and notice, here's what I want you to notice this morning, underline this. I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And there's something hidden there that we're going to look at in the next few weeks that, that we often overlook. But to us, it may not seem like much, but this description that Jesus would leave the disciples would be all that they would need for the hard journey that would be ahead of them. And we have so much more at our fingertips and our eyes than they had. 
And that was all that they would need. They, they weathered the storms because they knew something better was in store. It had to be better if Jesus was promising it to them. They knew that they could trust him. And since today the focus of this message is on the promise of heaven, we, we have to define our terms. And I want to, this series is going to be very educational. And so hang in there for the next four or five weeks. But we need to know what is guaranteed and what we can expect. That heaven is a real place that is being prepared for us. But what does that actually mean? From a theological perspective. So if you're reading your Bible, you'll notice that the word for heaven is used in several different, several different ways. Heaven can mean uh, an atmosphere in the sky. It can be used to reference galaxies and stars. We also have different phases of heaven, such as the intermediate state, or it's called the present state from time to time. Where, and that's where people are right now, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But it's also referred to as the abode of God, and that's the place where God is. Revelation 4 and 5 mentions thrones and elders. John 14 and Matthew 6 tell us that God the Father is there. Hebrews 9 says that those who have believed in Jesus for salvation, people that we know will be there. Hebrews 12 tells us that there is a record of our names in heaven. Ephesians 1 reminds us that there is an inheritance that is waiting on us, that something has happened to us at salvation. Now, we are, we are now citizens of heaven when we've put our faith and trust in Christ. And I believe America is the greatest country that you could live in on this entire globe, but our heavenly citizenship is incomparable to what we have right now. It is really coming for everyone who knows Jesus as Savior. Now, just for a minute, though, we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to Eden for just a moment, where God created a perfect world. That he makes mankind in that perfect world, and he creates a garden, and it's pleasant, and it's perfect. It's a perfect place, and, and, and God from heaven, he visits mankind in that garden. Now, if you're familiar with the word theophany, many scholars believe that's what happens in the first part of Genesis where the pre-incarnate Jesus would come and he would walk and he would talk with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had that experience in a perfect world with a perfect God and God visits him. There were no tornadoes and floods and wildfires and hurricanes and earthquakes. There were no wasps with stingers. It was perfect. And they had one rule. Many of you know this. You could answer these, you could preach this portion of the message for me this morning. God commanded them not to eat from one tree. But in Genesis 3, Satan comes on the scene. He tempts them. They rebel against God and sin will now enter the storyline. And sin impacted the relationship with God and man, but it also affected creation. Romans 8 tells us that the, that the creation is actually groaning. And now we have all of this dysfunction. Now we have all of this chaos that's going on around us. And it's been happening since Genesis 3. And because of sin, people are separated from God. And eternal punishment in hell is where mankind goes for that sin. So something miraculous happens, as we all know. 
God will then send a son into that sinful world. And he will come and he will be fully God, but he will be fully man. And he will live among us, but he will not just live among us. He will live among us with a purpose. He will live a perfect life. He will not even, he will not sin even one time. And he will die on the cross for everyone's sin. And he will provide restoration. He will rescue us. He does all of this so we can have a relationship with him. And this is where the eternity of John 14 comes into view, that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Listen, this is a promise made to us that we can hang on to today. That the moment a person dies who has responded to the gospel appeal, those who repent of their sin and believe that Jesus died for them will enter into this immediate heaven or this present heaven. That's how it's been since Genesis 3 and how it will be until the events of Revelation chapter 20. We go into the presence of God the moment we take our final breath here on this earth. Paul will affirm this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he says to be absent from the body is to be present or to be home with the Lord. We don't just go to sleep for a little while. It is immediate that when we die, we are immediately in the presence of our God. And this is where people get things messed up. The heaven that I go to, if I drop dead right now on this stage, isn't the heaven that we're going to actually be focusing on during this series. Although we are going to take some time and define what happens right now when death happens. But it's not the end result heaven. Where people go now is not, is not the end. That comes later. God is preparing that place for us. This also isn't where and when we'll get our resurrected bodies. That comes later as well. That no Christian who dies right now is sitting in the lap of Jesus. They're not crying tears through the holes of the floor of heaven. Because we don't have a body yet. Which I know probably blew some of your minds right there. Especially if you're new to the church. Those things come in the events of Revelation 21 and 22. That there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Resurrected bodies and we will live in this place. And once eternity has begun... In this permanent heaven, we won't find any sorrow, we won't find any pain, sin, or death. Now I'm going to spoil some of the series for you to kind of hold you over till we get there because this can be hard until we get there. Many respected theologians, they believe that when we get to this new heaven and this new earth that we are, we are going to discover new things about God, that we are going to enjoy meaningful work and that we're going to find adventure in this place. That there will be food, that we will know each other and that we will travel around. There will only be good memories of what God has done and we will be with him forever. So many opinions and ideas out there. But they're beautiful reminders of what we have waiting for us. And here's what I want you to hang on to this morning that we can hold fast to the promise of heaven. Hebrews 10, 23 tells us, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. That he has made a promise to us. And if you hear 
nothing today. Hear this. The heaven that God has planned for you is beyond your wildest imagination. And I think that's what makes it so hard sometimes to think about heaven, to consider what heaven may be because we, we, our minds aren't even designed to comprehend it all. Yet we have been given enough to provide us with the hope that we need. Many scholars believe that this heaven, this new heaven and this new earth will be like the world that he created in Genesis chapter 1. That God wanted a relationship with mankind in that perfect earth. That's why he created it and us. He could have made more angels. He could have kept things dark and void as Genesis says. But beauty and relationship is a part of his original design for a reason. In that perfect Eden, there was work and discovery and learning and tending to the creation. They were in charge, subduing the earth together. It was beautiful and it was real. And one day we will return to that perfect setting. God has promised a future for us in heaven. This new Jerusalem is a new earth with no problems, with no pain, no tears, perfect bodies, thank you, fulfilling work like in the garden, creativity, and as I mentioned earlier, hopefully wasps with no stingers. If it's perfect, they won't have stingers, and I won't have to run like crazy every time I see one. But there really is more than this life. There really is more than these momentary afflictions. There really is more than what we can see in this moment. Do you really know what God has for you? And how often do you think about it? So I want to end my message with this thought this morning, and these questions are going to be on the screen. And the questions are simple. How does your perspective of heaven impact how you live today? And then how does the promise of heaven affect your decision making? How does it? Do you ever think about it? When you're making a decision, does eternity ever cross your mind? Will this decision, will this direction, will this thing that I want to do, what type of eternal ramifications do they hold? And how will this decision impact how I live? I think we should all consider those two questions. And maybe you're here this morning and you've suffered great loss. I mean, this week alone, we have had five families in our church affected by eternity. I mean, think of the Gray family with the loss of Megan. We think of Susan Ackerman who lost her father, Chris Tharp who lost her father, Brian and Annette Steiner. Brian lost his sister on Friday night. We have another family who wishes to remain anonymous that lost a family member this week. Eternity is on their minds today. Because it's coming for every single one of us. So how does it affect and how is it shaping how we live?
many of you know what our mission and our vision is here. We, our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and we have, we, we've set that as our mission statement on purpose because there is nothing bigger or better than Jesus. And our vision is to build relationships and share stories and bring others to come and know and see and experience what it is to know that Jesus. That our, our vision of build, share, and bring, it is built under the umbrella of eternal thinking. That we, we push you so often to build relationships with those who are far from God because they are far from God and they will not experience this heaven without Jesus Christ saving them. And so we've pushed and we've challenged and we've encouraged, build the relationship with those who live next to you, with your coworkers, with your friends from high school and college, with your neighbors, with your own spouses and your children if they don't know Jesus. We have pushed and we've pushed and we've pushed because we can't think of anything greater to do on this earth than to love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to pursue those who don't know him. And we share the hope of the gospel. We share the story of Jesus. So we build relationships, we share the story, and we share our own unique experience with it. Man, if I could bring some of you up on the stage and you could share your experience with the gospel and how Jesus has saved you and what he has done in your life, and then you could turn that around and say, this is how it has impacted how I think, it would be a powerful moment. And we bring others to come and see, to hear, and hopefully believe. It gives us purpose. That's what our vision is all about. We want to see people who are far from God come to find and know Him, and then grow in Him, and then live for something that is out of this world. And so maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you're a guest. Maybe you're watching online and, and you, don't, you don't have a relationship with this God who, who created everything that we see. This perfect God who came to this world and lived the life that you couldn't, that I couldn't, that none of us could. And he paid the price for our sin. And he paid the price for our sin to give us life, to give us purpose and meaning here on this earth. But he gave us life so that we could live eternally with him forever in heaven. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've never heard the story of the gospel. That you've never heard that there is a God who loved you so much that he would come and he would lay down his life and he would die for you. Because I can't think of anyone who should die for me. Yet Jesus did. And he offers you salvation today. So as John 14 says, believe in me. Will you believe in Jesus today? I hope you will. I have been praying all week that anyone who walks into this space, because we believe that every Sunday is someone's first Sunday. I hope that as you walk into this space, I've been praying for you this week, that you would respond to the gospel and that you would be saved and that you would experience life like you've never lived before.
And if you'd like to talk to someone about that this morning, we'll have a deacon to my left, to your right, over here in the north corner of our building. They would love to talk to you and answer any questions that you may have about Jesus and his gospel and what eternity really is. Or you can find me at the end of the service. I pass out suckers to kids, but I'll, they'll understand. <laughs> Maybe. I hope, Christian, that you're excited for what's coming. And I hope that this series will open your imagination and your mind to what God has prepared for us. Listen, I am a human being. This is a big topic, and I am going to fall short. But it is so awesome to think about what God has prepared for us. And I'm really excited about it. I want to live with purpose today, but I'm looking forward to the day that I get to go into the presence of my God. And he will make all things right. And he will make all things new. And I hope you are too. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful this morning for who you are and what you've done. We're thankful for this gospel of Jesus that, that we so, we just gratefully proclaim this morning. And so God, we love you. God, we need you, and we cannot do this life without you. So God, thank you so much for saving us, for offering us hope, but also for preparing something beyond our wildest imaginations. We have something to look forward to, that we have the hope of heaven. And so God, I pray for that person in the room this morning who is it was struggling, remind them of what you have in store. And for the person in the room this morning that does not have that relationship with you, they, they have yet to hear the gospel or they've yet to respond to the gospel, God, I pray that your spirit would do a work in their hearts and that they would respond to your appeal this morning. That they would call on you and that you would save them because you said you will. And we trust that. We believe that, and we know that you will come through on your promise. It's a promise that we can hold on to today, is that you're preparing something for us. And we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.